Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. Here's the run of the play. Yes! This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, down here in Tampa. We are. Fast approaching Christmas. Can you believe we are two about two weeks away from Christmas? When you're listening to this podcast, we are will be less than two weeks away. We had a interesting week this week. In the we'll give you a couple notes and world notes, and I'm going to talk a few minutes about college football and the pro football slate this week, and then we're going to have Matt Zemek who covers the Pac-12. He's a national football, college football, college hoops writer. He does some work for Tro- for the USC Trojans. So we're going to have Matt talk about the college football season wrapping up, especially we're going to talk a lot of Pac-12. We're going to talk Ohio State. We're going to talk about what's going on in the college basketball world. And we're going to talk about what would Matt do if he was the commissioner or czar of college football, some changes. He's got some unique ideas of a couple of cool things that I think like Matt, I think would make a nice uh, would be a nice uh, addition to the college football uh, landscape. So, uh, first off, want to mention a couple of our sponsors of the podcast: United Health Plans. Reach out to Patrick Highland if you're looking for Medicare coverage, life insurance, all those kind of things. You can reach reach out to Patrick Highland anywhere in the state of Florida. Area code 813-966-1052. And also want to mention Titan Home Lending. If you're in the market, you're looking to purchase a home, purchase a second home, a rental property. Uh, If you want to do some renovation on your current home, if you want to do a a refinance on your current home, interest rates are unbelievably good right now. Um, And so take advantage of these interest rates. Reduce the rate, uh, the interest rate of your current home loan. Reduce potentially reduce the length of your loan. And put some money back in your pocket as we head to the holiday season. So reach out to Titan Home Lending, area code 813-542-7559, anywhere in the state of Florida. Or you can reach out to 205-790-1404. Love to help you take care of a home loan need that you might have. So, all right, let's get to some just news and notes around the college football world. This is a terrible week of college football games. There's not one game, really, that has much significance. Most of the Power Five Conference Championship games have been, matchups have been determined. Um, the, the college football top six for the playoff rankings have not changed a bit. Still got Alabama one, Notre Dame two, Clemson three, Ohio State four, A&M five, Florida six. Those are still the only six teams that realistically have a shot to get into the playoff. Uh, BYU, their chances were dashed last week as they went to Coastal Carolina and lost in a thriller on the one-yard line on the last play of the game. 
Give full credit to BYU for taking the game on two or three days' notice to go on the road to Coastal Carolina, who's undefeated. Uh, But what a great game that was. Again, BYU got stopped on the one-yard line on the last play of the game on a completed pass, and a guy got tackled at the one. So uh, BYU's out. Cincinnati's still in big trouble. They had to cancel another game this week just prior to their AAC championship game. So the best game on the slate this week actually is the Army-Navy game. And you say, what? Why is that a good game? Well, you know, one thing I would say I'm going to try to do on Before I Die is, is going to go to the Army-Navy game. I had intentions of potentially going to that game this year, uh, with, uh, but with COVID, obviously that's not going to happen. Uh, interesting note on that game. Typically, it's played in Washington or Philadelphia for many, many, many of the years. This year, the game is actually going to be at West Point up in New York for the first time on campus. So that's going to be an interesting uh, change of uh, circumstance. Still no fans and all that stuff, but it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out on TV up at West Point, uh, up in the Hudson Valley part of New York with the Army-Navy game. Next year is going to be the 20th anniversary of the 9-11, post-9-11. And I've read that the game is going to be in New York next year for the Army-Navy game, so that's a cool thing. But if you've never been to the Army-Navy game, which I have never been, definitely, and you're a college football fan, you definitely want to try to go to that at some point in my life. The pageantry of that, again, if you're, most of us all know somebody who's in the military or been in the military, just the, the commitment those guys make at both both academies is unbelievable to, to be full-time soldiers as well as uh, athletes and students and all that stuff. So it's one thing that uh, if, if, you, if you're not doing anything on Saturday, spend watch that game, spend a ha- you know spend an hour, hour and a half or the, or the entire game, watch that game to see the again the athleticism and the, and the competitiveness between those two teams. Uh, Navy is a little bit better than Army is this year, but both teams have always been very competitive. And when those two teams play, throw the records out the book, out, out of the window. Uh, just the 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 drive and just the atmosphere in that in that stadium. Typically, when there's a full stadium of fans, there everybody's half the stadium's dressed in in the uh, Army outfits and half of them in the Navy outfits. And obviously, you have all the former alumni and, and former vets that, that, that are participating in the game as well. So great, great opportunity. Next week, the 19th, is going to be a great weekend of, of events, uh, games. you got the SEC Championship, ACC Championship, the Big Ten Championship. Speaking of the Big Ten, they did change their rule this week, to, which is going to allow Ohio State to play in the Big Ten title game with less than six games. Their game with Michigan was postponed this week due to issues at Michigan. I am not a fan of this change. I understand why they're doing it because they 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 obviously need Ohio State, who's one of the undefeated teams. They want Ohio State in the mix for the national playoff. Uh, my thought is one: the Big Ten put themselves in a in a box back in August when they postponed the season as late as they did. They did not give themselves enough wiggle room to guarantee um, the ability to play six games. And my question would be, why did they make a six-game requirement on the front end if they were going to then change their mind on the back end because of cancellation? You had to know back in 
October when they made the final scheduling that there was going to be COVID issues and that teams were, there was going to be a possibility teams weren't going to have six games, but they did it anyway. And I don't like what they did here. Um, they would not have made this decision if Ohio State had one or two losses and was not a top five or six team in the country relative to the college football playoff rankings. If Ohio State had two losses, Northwestern had a couple of losses, or both teams were ranked in the tens, they would not have played this game the way they did. They would not have made this change among the athletic directors, and I am not a fan. You're going to hear our... Uh, we're going to hear what Matt Zemick has to say about this Ohio State situation here in our interview here in just a minute, a couple of minutes. But uh, I am not a fan of what the Big Ten did here uh, by completely altering the rules and allowing Ohio State to play in this Big Ten championship game. I know it would not have been a sexy matchup with Indiana versus Northwestern. Uh, but Indiana, to me, has earned the right to play in this game with only the one loss to Ohio State by seven points, and they've played the sufficient number of games. So um, that's where I stand on this whole Ohio State situation. There's some Pac-12 drama that we're going we're gonna to talk with Matt about as well with the potential cancellation of uh, Washington and Oregon, which is going to set up another situation that the Pac-12 may have to choose who's going to be in the, their championship game. So we'll, we'll talk to Matt about that as well. Um, again, terrible slate in the college football world this week other than the Army-Navy game. So nothing else worth talking about um, on the college football front. Let's go to the NFL. A log jam. Let's, let's, let's hit the Steelers first. Steelers lose their first game of the year on on Monday night at home to the Washington football team. A stunning loss for the Steelers only because, not that they lost the game, but because they were up 14-0 late in the second quarter versus a very anemic Washington offense. Uh, give the football team full credit in the second half. They played very well. They got a very controversial field goal at the end of the half due to a officiating blunder relative to the clock. And Alex Smith carrying the game ball off the field, and they stopped the clock to get a K-ball back in the field. They gave Washington way, way more time than they, they deserved to have, which they never would have got a field goal off uh, had that clock not clock blunder by the officiating crew not happened. So um, fortunate for the, for the Washington to get that three points, but give Washington credit. They played really, really well in the second half. Shut down the, the the Steeler offense, and again, if you're the Steelers, you've got to find a way to run the ball these last four weeks of the season. You cannot put all the load on Ben Roethlisberger's shoulders. He'll be able to do it some of the time, but he will not be able to throw the ball 45, 50 times a game the rest of the way throughout the playoffs to, for Pittsburgh to make a deep run. Have got to establish a little bit of a running game with James Conner and that offensive line. The defense is still uh, doing their thing, playing very well. They are losing some. Uh, they've lost another guy this last week. You had uh, Bud Dupree out. You've got Bush out. Um, they've 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 taken a couple hits on defense as far as injuries. So first loss of the year for the Steelers. The other big news coming out of the NFC you have uh, Carson Wentz getting benched in Philadelphia for Jalen Hurts. So we'll see how the Hurts project goes. Is this the end for for Carson Wentz in Philadelphia? A humongous cap hit to the Eagles if they were to trade Carson Wentz um, in the offseason. I don't think they will. 
Uh, be interesting to see what happens with Peterson and Roseman there in Philadelphia. But again, Carson Wentz benched, Jalen Hurts in for the Eagles here for the home stretch of the season. The Giants and the and the Washington football team now both five and seven. Obviously, the Giants with a big upset out in Seattle last week with no Daniel Jones taking care of Russell Wilson. And then obviously the the Washington team went to Pittsburgh and ended the undefeated season on Monday night. So both of those teams are five and seven. Giants still in first place because of the tiebreaker, but that the, both those teams are starting to play very well. So they're going to be a nasty matchup for people come playoff time. Both defenses are very legit. Uh, they need some more help on the offensive side, but both defenses will keep them in most games. So be interested to see who wins this division moving down the stretch. Both of these five and seven teams are up on two by two games over the Cowboys and the Eagles. Cowboys lost a golden chance on, on Tuesday night at Baltimore by losing again. So it'll be interesting how the Cowboys finish out this season at three and nine. Three and nine for the Cowboys. Wow. All right, let's get to the NFC. Um, playoff situation in the NFC is pretty is, is fairly uh, straightforward. There's not a lot of scenarios here. You got the you got the Packers and the Saints vying for the one and two seeds. The Rams playing probably gonna the Rams are probably gonna win that NFC West. A very impressive performance tonight against the Patriots. Uh, they are gonna they're gonna win the NFC West in my opinion. So you have either the, uh, the those three seeds are pretty locked, and then you have the NFC East winner is gonna be the four seed. The interesting drama is gonna be five, six, and seven. You have the you have the Seattle Seahawks, you have the Buccaneers, you have Arizona, you have Minnesota, and on the outskirts you have the Bears and the 49ers. Those are kind of the outskirt teams at five and seven. Arizona is six and six, the Bucks seven and five, and the Seahawks are eight and four. So as we get to the home stretch, I think I think Seattle and Tampa Bay are going to be pretty safe to get in as wild cards. We'll be interested to see who's the five seed versus the six seed. As far as seeding goes, and then the seventh seed's probably going to come down to Arizona, Minnesota, and maybe the 49ers. I don't see the Bears staying in the mix. I could see the 49ers making a little bit of a push, but we'll see. AFC is where it gets much, much crazier. You have a big, you have about, you have six teams playing for four spots in the AFC. You got a lot of very good football teams. There's going to be a couple of really good teams that get left out of this playoff hunt in the AFC. At the top, you got the Steelers and the Chiefs still vying for the one and two seed. The Pittsburgh still has the has the one seed. Kansas City is the two. The three seed is going to be most likely the uh, either Buffalo or the winner of the AFC South. Buffalo's in the three hole right now. Big win at, at San Francisco on Monday night. Uh, so big win there. The Buffalo's in the three hole. The four holes, the AFC South. You got a tie between Indianapolis and Tennessee. Um, one of those two teams will be the will be the four seed. And as far as the wild card uh, teams go, lots of really good teams. You got Cleveland in the five hole at nine and three. You have Miami at eight and four. You have uh, the non AFC South winner, either Indy or Tennessee, is at eight and four. You have Las Vegas at seven and five, and you have the uh, Baltimore Ravens at seven and five after they beat the Cowboys. So. Very interesting uh, jockeying a position. There's a huge matchup this week in the AFC between Indy and Las Vegas, which will both help the division and the wild card scenario. 
Um, and there's going to be some great matchups as we move down the road. I know Miami plays Las Vegas here later on. You got Indianapolis. I mean, you got Baltimore and Cleveland on Monday night this week. Another great matchup. Again, we're going to talk about that. But the AFC is full of scenarios and uh, huge games that are going to determine playoff seedings in the AFC. Like I said, there's going to be a couple of pretty good teams that don't make the playoffs in the AFC. Let's go run down the slate of the NFL games real quick, and then we'll move on to talking to Matt Zemek. Green Bay, Detroit. Who cares? Um, I would take D- I would take Green Bay in the game in Detroit. Game two for Matt. I mean for Daryl Bevel. Uh, Tennessee, Jacksonville. Again, don't don't fall asleep here. Tennessee on the road in Jacksonville. They've been playing much more competitively. They've been very competitive the last several weeks under Doug Marone. I can see this game being competitive, but I think the Titans will figure out a way to win. You got to get Derrick Henry back going again. The last couple weeks, he's not been, he didn't play, he didn't run very well last week. They got smoked by the uh, Cleveland Browns in their own building. So look for Tennessee to rebound. The Cowboys head to Cincinnati. That's a who cares game. Dallas minus three and a half. I do like Dallas. You have Andy Dalton returning to Cincinnati where he played for about nine years. I look for a big effort out of the Cowboys there. I can see I like the Cowboys minus the three and a half there. Arizona and the Giants, a sneaky good game with major playoff implications. Arizona's struggling the last four or five weeks. The Giants are playing really well. Be interested to see what the weather is like in New York for the cold weather for the Cardinals. Um, Daniel Jones looks like he's if uh, 50-50 whether he's going to play on Sunday. Colt McCoy did a good job on the road. Good defense for the Giants. Wayne Gallman running the ball very well. Um, I'm going to go slight lean to the Arizona Cardinals here. I don't know why I have a funny feeling the Arizona can, can win this game, but I do. Houston goes to Chicago, a must-win game for the Bears. Trubisky playing a little better at quarterback. They blew a bad loss last week at home to Detroit, up 30-20, to and lose the game late. Uh Bad loss last week. This is kind of Chicago's last stand here. Could be the end of the road for Nagy and Ryan Pace, the GM. Um, I would take Chicago here, minus the one at home. Denver goes to Carolina. No Christian McCaffrey this week. Still out another week. Uh, Denver done. Carolina done. Who cares? Big game in Tampa here in my hometown at Raymond James Stadium. Vikings six and six coming to see the seven and five Bucks who are coming off a bye week. I think you're going to see the Bucks are minus six and a half. I, I think you're going to see a recommitment to the running game by the Buccaneers coming out of this bye week. I think you're going to see some offensive philosophy changes a little bit for the Bucks, a little more less down the field throws, some more intermediate stuff, and more running out of Tampa Bay. I think you'll see a resurgent Buccaneer defense. Trying to contain Dalvin Cook, the NFL. I think I think he's leading the NFL in rushing, if I recall. If not, he's right there at the top with Derrick Henry. I like the Bucks here. I think you're going to see a big effort out of Tampa Bay. Minus a six and a half. Take the Bucks. Tease the Bucks. I think you're going to see a big, big effort by the Buccaneers here at home Sunday afternoon with Buck and Aikman coming to visit Raymond James Stadium for you, T.J. Reeves. Can- very interesting game in Miami. The Dolphins hosting the world champion Kansas City Chiefs. Mahomes and company. The Dolphins get it done last week against Cincinnati. Not glamorous, but they but got it done. The defense is playing very well in Miami. Question is, can Miami score enough points in this game? 
Kansas City is going to score 24 to 28 minimum. Can Miami get into the high 20s with Tua at the helm? Have not been moving the ball extremely well on on offense with Tua. They've been okay, not great. I don't like what they've been doing in the red zone. Uh, It seems like all they do is throw jump balls in the red zone when they get inside the 10. A little more creativity out of the Dolphins, please. Come on, Chan Gailey. Show a little creativity. But you have an opportunity here with with the Kansas City defense who is a little vulnerable, you got a chance here to stay in the game with this good Miami defense. Got great corners in Miami, a good pass rush. So it would be a very good matchup there in Miami Sunday afternoon. Kansas City's minus seven. I would stay away from that game. The Colts and the Raiders, huge game out in Las Vegas. The, uh, The Colts are minus three on the road in Las Vegas. The Raiders with the miraculous win last week in New York against the Jets with the bonehead Greg Williams all-out blitz in the last 10 seconds. But the Raiders need to play better. They're not playing well the last couple of weeks. The Colts got away with one last week in in Houston. Deshaun Watson fumbles on the five-yard line in the last minute and a half there, which they preserved that win, got lucky there. I like the Raiders here for some reason. I think think the Raiders are going to find a way to get it done. uh, Derek Carr um, playing well. What is the health status of Josh Jacobs? If Jacobs plays, I like the Raiders. If Jacobs doesn't play, then I'm going to lean Colts here because that guy is a difference maker when it comes to running the ball, ball control offense. The Raiders are still still susceptible on defense, um, and the Colts like to ball control offense. Tight ends, Taylor, short passing game with Rivers. Jets in Seattle. Seattle minus 14. Bad loss last week by the Seahawks. At home to the Giants. Uh, Jets, another another blunder, disastrous finish. Uh, Seahawks will roll in this game. That If you're in a survivor pool, this probably is your pick. I'll take Seattle big here. Falcons and the Chargers, who cares? Again, Anthony Lynn on very, very thin ice out in L.A. Uh, Atlanta. Loses another one to the New Orleans Saints last week. Raheem Morris. Uh, Atlanta minus two and a half. I would take the Chargers this week. I like the Chargers who got destroyed by the Patriots. I think you'll see them play much better this week with Herbert uh, at home. Give me the Chargers plus the two and a half. Saints and the Eagles, like we talked about before. Jalen Hurts gets the start. Taysom Hill will start again for the Saints. Drew Brees back practicing but not ready to play yet. This New Orleans defense, this is the this is the part of their team that's been undervalued. They're playing great on defense. In Philadelphia, minus a seven. I think seven's too many points in Philadelphia. I do think Jalen Hurts will give them a little bit of a spark offensively and will be able to allow them to do a couple more things. Run the ball, Philadelphia. Give Miles Sanders 15 to 18 carries. You have Boston Scott. You have Jalen Hurts who can run the ball a little bit. Run the ball, Philadelphia. I like the Eagles to keep it close. Washington heads to San Francisco. San Francisco minus three. Again, a huge win for the Washington Monday on Monday in Pittsburgh. 49ers got, got blitzed by Josh Allen in Buffalo. I like San Francisco here. I just don't think that Washington can score enough points. I think I think the, this will be a low, lower scoring game. I think I like the 49ers here. Shanahan, give Mostert some more cut touches, please. Run the 
Remember, this game gets played in Arizona because of the uh, restrictions of the 49ers playing in California. Sunday night, huge game, Orchard Park, New York. The Bills host the Steelers. Both teams need to keep winning. Buffalo played really well Monday night at San Francisco. Josh Allen played great. The offense is moving the ball. Pittsburgh needs to find, like we talked about, find a running game. James Conner, let Conner help you here. The defense is still really good for Pittsburgh. Buffalo minus two and a half right now. This is a tough game to call. I think it's going to be a very tight game right here. Interesting to see if Chris Boswell is back for Pittsburgh. If he is, I'm going to go slight lean to Pittsburgh if he's back. If there's no Chris Boswell, give me the Bills. Monday night in Cleveland, great game. Cleveland-Baltimore. Cleveland back in prime time. Baltimore, Lamar Jackson back. Mark Andrews back. The running backs are back. They played very well on, on Tuesday against Dallas. Cleveland is rolling with that running game. They, they played very well in Tennessee last week. Nick Chubb, Baker Mayfield playing very well. Uh, be a very, very interesting game Monday night in Cleveland. The Browns. My pewter picks of the week. I like Dallas minus the three and a half. I like San Francisco minus the three. And I like Tampa Bay minus the six and a half. Those are my three best plays to go with. So there you have it. NFL college football takes. Matt Zemick is coming up on deck right after this quick, brief timeout. You're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. All right, we are back on the Powers on Sports podcast. Very thankful and happy we're going to have a Awesome, uh, awesome guest here from the West Coast, one Matt Zemeck. Matt is a uh, freelance uh, college football, college basketball writer. He also covers the USC Trojans. He works for several outlets. He works for Trojan Wire. And Matt is based in Phoenix, Arizona. So we're going to talk all things college football with Matt today. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's a treat. I appreciate it, Matt. Yep, I'm happy. How's your Christmas shopping coming? Uh, you know, I tell my mom not to get me anything for Christmas because she has a, a lot of other people she can get gifts for. That's how we keep our family budget in line. There you go. There you go. I hear you. I hear you. All right. Well, let's get right to it, Matt. Like I said, Matt, you cover uh, the you do you do some work for the, with the Pac-12 stuff. Obviously, cover USC USC Trojans. Give me a little breakdown of kind of the, what the Pac-12 title game is looking like. I know USC US UCLA play this week. I saw. Uh, what Oregon and Washington looks like is getting canceled. Give me, a, give us a little breakdown of the Pac-12 and kind of how COVID uh, affected that conference in the football season. Okay, well, in terms of COVID, so the thing with the Oregon-Washington game, if that game does not get played, Washington wins the Pac-12 North because Washington lost only one game, Oregon's lost two. Oregon beat Stanford earlier in the season. If Oregon and Washington find a way to play on Saturday and Oregon wins, Oregon, Stanford, and Washington would all have two losses in the Pac-12, but since Oregon would have the head-to-head over both Stanford and Washington, Oregon would win the division. But if the game doesn't get played, Washington wins the division by sitting at home. And let's keep in mind that Washington has not left Seattle. Washington's played four games, 
all in Seattle. You know, the Utah game was a, a newly scheduled game. It was not on the original revised schedule that came out in late September, early October. Uh, you know, that was because of Utah's uh, COVID problems and, the, and then Utah's uh, Arizona State's COVID problems. Utah was going to play Arizona State in a Pac-12 South game. That got scrubbed because of ASU's issues. So Utah made up a game with Washington. You know, that was when the BYU talk with Washington was going on. So uh, Washington's never left Seattle and yet could play it, could win the division while staying home. And so what this leads to here is that, you know, the, the Colorado and USC are both unbeaten, but they're both in the same division. But it's a weird pandemic scheduling situation. As you know, you know, the Big Ten is going through all this thing and it finally decided to allow Ohio State to play Northwestern, you know, changed its policy. And that really gets to the heart of the matter here. Conferences are changing their policies all the time. You know, the ACC changed its schedule so that Clemson and Notre Dame would not play the week before their December 19th game. And you know what? To me, now people will disagree and that's fine, but to me, it's okay to change on the fly. This is a pandemic. We don't have a regular roadmap. Let's adjust. You know, when you when you realize that the situation is in a certain alignment, that you need to change your rules to do the fairest thing for all your programs, or at least the programs that have earned the right to play for a conference championship, you do that. So I agree with the Big Ten's decision to change things, because Ohio State's the best team in that conference. Everybody knows it. To have an arbitrary five-game requirement and all the, these specific hoops to jump through, come on, let, let Ohio State play. No one gets hurt. And so similarly here in the Pac-12, if, if that Washington-Oregon game doesn't get played, all right, you call Washington the Pac-12 North champion, that's fine, but shouldn't play for the Pac-12 title. It should be unbeaten Colorado, unbeaten USC in that Pac-12 championship game next Friday, December 18th. Um, you, you can just rewrite the rules. You don't have to say it's North versus South. You can say it's the two unbeaten teams. I mean, that's assuming Colorado and USC take care of business on Saturday. So it's fine to change your mind. I mean, look, if we if we said, no, you can't change your mind in a pandemic, that would have meant once the Big Ten and the Pac-12 said no fall football, whoa, you got to hold to it. But right, no, right. we wanted them to change their minds because that was the better decision to make. So we shouldn't suddenly say now, oh, well, that's the rule. That's in place. That's final. You know, can't, can't have any flexibility or wiggle room. Flexibility is exactly the thing we need to have in terms of pandemic scheduling and not just in college football, not just in football period, any sport. We're going through this with college basketball. Games are being rescheduled on the fly, uh, you know, in within 48 hours of playing. That, that's what we have to do in this situation. It's not a normal thing. It's not going to be a long-term permanent reality. You know, when we get a vaccine, we get organized and settled for the next sports cycle in the fall of 2021 and, and the, the winter of 2022, it's going to be different. It's not going to be like this. But for this one year, we have to be flexible. So that's why Colorado should be allowed to play for the Pac-12 title. It's why the Big Ten correctly has allowed Ohio State to play for uh, its conference championship. Is there a chance where if Washington can't play Oregon that that game, who, who, is, who is having the COVID issues? Is it, is it a walk? Is it a Washington issue? It is Washington. And so here's the thing with Washington. Uh, King County, you know, in Seattle, and I've right. lived in Seattle, you know, and, and much like California, very strict COVID-19 regulations. Right. It's different from much of the rest of the country. Right. King County in Seattle has a 14-day quarantine policy. So you can do the math. It's, it's December 9, 
Pac-12 title games on December 18th, if you did a 10-day quarantine, uh, even, even a 10-day instead of a 14-day, Washington couldn't play on the 18th. Right. Now, here's another little plot twist. Now, the Pac-12 has no shot at the playoff. Right. So you could say there's no there's no need to have to play the Pac-12 title game on Friday the 18th. Move it to Sunday the 20th or even Monday the 21st. And so you know the 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 bowl announcement show you know for the New Year's Six, not just the playoff, is on Sunday the 20th. You could just say on the Sunday the 20th, whoever wins the Pac-12 title game play on Monday the 21st. Right. Whenever gets the Fiesta Bowl bid for the New Year's Six. You can just do that. It's not that hard. The Pac-12 is not going to get two teams into the New Year's Six. So there are workarounds here, but that 14-day quarantine, that would go through December 23rd. So Washington might not be able to play, which could force the Pac-12's hand anyway. The Pac-12 has not shown any sign to want to rewrite its rules to say it's, it's going to be USC Colorado. Pac-12 has not shown an inclination to do that, but this 14-day quarantine in King County, it just it might bring us to that point uh, in spite of the Pac-12's inertia on this issue. Pretty darn crazy. It is crazy. Like you said, it's all over the country, and obviously the out west has really been hit hard. Do you think, do you think nationally these, during these conference championship games next week, do you think these conferences will have a third team kind of on call, whoever the third rated team in that conference is in the event, one of the two teams, the week of all of a sudden has COVID issues. Do you think they'll have a third team kind of practicing and just as an on-call scenario to where they could fill in on a Wednesday or Thursday, if one of the championship teams have, have, has an outbreak of some sort. I think these teams have to be ready. They have to expect it. There's going to be some movement. I mean, you and I know that COVID is terrible across the whole country right now. And again, if flexibility is king and, you know, look, look at what BYU and Coastal Carolina did right. on the fly. And I mean, that was a heavy lift for BYU's equipment crew to get their equipment truck all the way across the country from Utah to Conway, South Carolina. If, hey, if BYU can do that and if Coastal Carolina can stage a game on short notice on national TV, uh, these other teams in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and other conferences can be able to do that. And I, you know, I know you were going to ask me a few specific questions. I think we can segue into this part right now. We have talked, we, I mean, I and a number of other college football commentators for, for the past decade, really, have talked about making these conference championship games flexible. You right. know, if, uh, if you have like a, an unbeaten team against a four loss team from the other division, like think, you know, like when the big 12 had its conference title game, not the past three, four years, but like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, right have 10 and 11 and one Oklahoma against seven and five Colorado right. or eight and four Missouri. You don't need to have that five loss or four loss division champion from the much weaker division, put in another really good team there, get a high end game. And so you can turn these conference championship games into high end non-conference championship games. It's not an automatic thing though. You just go by feel. If you have like an Alabama, Florida, of course you keep that game. That's a big time game. But if you have a, <coughs> excuse me, a four loss <coughs> division champion, right. you don't, you're not committed to that. Flex that game, have a big time team like a Cincinnati, Indiana, 
a team that wants to make a national statement, put that team in there. And then, so that's how you can flex schedule games. BYU Coastal Carolina showed us that you can do this. It's not hard. You can do this <clears throat> on the fly. And so, you know, when we get into this argument, eight team playoff or four team playoff, it is a false choice. It has always been a false choice. It's not as though you have to have one or you have to have the other. The point of a season, a college football season, is to play big time games right. and settle arguments on the field. Every fan recognizes that. We all get it. Now we can see that flex scheduling can give us those high end games. You can use the conference championship games at the end of the year in early December to do that. But you can also have one flex scheduled regularly regular season game in like mid-November. You get to late October, halfway through the season, so that you can see who's good, who's highly ranked. And then you make an announcement saying two or three weeks from now, you know, we're gonna have we have a we have a flex date. This, these teams will be at home, these teams will go on the road, and you can mix and match among the power five conferences and the group of fives uh, for one game out of the 12 and then you rotate each year so one if you host in 2020 you go on the road in 2021 and so on and so forth you create an off week a week of rest before this flex game so that you have the logistics you can you know have those two weeks to adjust you know this should be the way the sport schedules going forward to have one flex game at least in mid to late november and then use the conference championship games to flex schedule as well. Think you then you don't need an 18 playoff because you would have these de facto quarterfinals. Eliminate elimination games. Yes, you would be playing the round of eight in the regular season. You don't have a bloated playoff field, so you really you satisfy all the different constituencies. That's a that's a great idea, Matt. And honestly, from a TV perspective, you could build some tremendous TV content. You could almost have like a random draw if you wanted to do something like that where, hey, these 15, these 20 teams are going to be matched up potentially against each other where you could have an incredible TV event saying, hey, Oklahoma is going to play USC, Notre Dame is going to play Florida or whatever the matchups end up being. Like, I think it's a great idea. You see it in college basketball, usually in mid-February, they have a weekend of games where they'll have they'll have the a Gonzaga playing a team from the East Coast or a Creighton playing a team from that's a, these mid-major matchups, a Butler playing somebody big time, another mid-major where these mid-majors get a little more national exposure and a little more credibility from a national perspective. Yeah, it was the bracket busters. And, right. and even then, and even, even now you will see like, uh, well, like the Big 12 uh, SEC challenge in, in late January, you know, they're playing their conference schedules but they step out for that one Saturday, you know, not, not in late right. November, but in late January to get that last non-conference test before the NCAA tournament. And it's great television. I mean, you have Kansas against Kentucky mm -hmm. in, in late January in the years when they don't play, you know, in the, in Indianapolis in, in, uh, uh, in late November. So yeah, right. and you can do these things. And, and the other thing, the other thing to note here, you know, we're seeing games, NFL games played on Tuesday and Wednesday, you know, what, is there a law saying you can't play college football on uh, a big time college football game on a Tuesday? Right. Who wouldn't want to see Oklahoma and Notre Dame on a Tuesday? Right. In the right. late fall, early winter. You know, you just have a bye week before it so that the players get rest. I mean, so there are so many innovative things here to do with scheduling. And, and the other piece is 
you know, if you hypothetically, if you do have Oklahoma Notre Dame on a Tuesday, that's a standalone event. So ESPN stands to make more money. What what am I missing here? Is we should be doing this? No, you're right. It's a great it's a great idea. It really is. It's you know obviously I I, I think from a football perspective these conferences always take the position. Well, I got to play nine conference games. We don't want to play an additional. But in theory, some of these you know the Vanderbilts of the world, the Oregon States of the world, and the in the Texas Techs of the world that aren't very good most years, that really isn't a stressful conference game for the Alabamas and the Oklahomas and the USC's typically um let's get to your neck of the woods covering USC football what are your thoughts on the USC season this year Clay Helton his future I know there's always been a lot of speculation about his future give me a little sense of USC football in 2020 yeah it's so bizarre out here in the west because the season is so short you know USC's played four games and, you know, on the original schedule, not the revised one, uh, but the original one, USC was supposed to play Alabama and Notre Dame. Right. And so the Trojans didn't get to play either one of those teams. They probably would have gotten their butt kicked twice. Right. Uh, and, and even USC fans acknowledge that, you know, they're, 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 they're USC fans, you know, they're insufferable when the program's great, but they're self-critical when the program isn't measuring up the standards. And they know USC's not in the big leagues. Get this. Here's the money stat about USC's opponents. The first four teams USC has played and beaten this year. The, their combined record, 2-10. and ten. Man. 2-10. and ten. And the other really amazing stat is that USC's first three opponents, Arizona State on November 7, Arizona on November 14, Utah on November 21st. USC was playing those three games. Those, those were the season openers for those three different teams. Because Arizona had COVID issues in week one. So when USC played them in week two, that was Arizona's first game. Utah had COVID issues in, in each of its first two weeks. Right. So that when, when USC played Utah on the 21st, that was Utah's first game. So really, USC's had, just in terms of being able to win games week to week, USC has had amazing luck. <laughs> you know, not having to play Alabama and Notre Dame. So this past week, you finally saw a really good performance. USC finally put a bad team away early. It had not done that the previous three games. So that's real progress. But USC still hasn't beaten a particularly good team. And, and of course, that's not the Trojans' fault, but it's there. It's there. Yeah. And so until Clay Helton can get this program to where, you know, you know that USC belongs on the field with one of the big boys – Fans aren't going to be impressed. The fact that he is 4-0, you know, it, he's going to be coaching this team in 2021. There's no doubt about that. And even if he had struggled, it was a pandemic. Budgets are tight. Right. Uh, U.S. doesn't throw dollars around the way Texas can to, you know, get right. Tom Herman out the door. Uh, you know, so he was likely to coach in 2021 anyway. Now he's certain. That's done. And so the 2021 season, that's going to give us a measure the true measure of where USC is. But, you know, right now, USC has a New Year's Six Bowl to play for. And because Oregon and Washington have not been very good, USC is legitimately the favorite in the Pac-12. Now, there's no really good team in the Pac-12, but of that group, USC is the favorite. So if USC gets to the Fiesta Bowl in the New Year's Six, you know, they're not going to make the playoff. But if USC gets to the Fiesta Bowl and gets a good opponent and can test itself, that would at least offer a measuring stick for next year. So USC fans would really love to see Georgia, you know, because JT Daniels yeah. out of USC, right. Georgia. 
and and you because know, he knew that Keaton Slovis had a lock on the starting quarterback position. So that's the game USC fans would love to see. USC Georgia in the Fiesta Bowl. Also Oklahoma um, probably would be disappointed if it's Indiana or Cincinnati. That wouldn't move the needle right. quite as much. But if right. USC fans get a crack at Georgia or Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl January 2nd, you know, that would be a good test. And we can really evaluate where this program is because you can't evaluate USC based on beating four teams that have a two and 10 combined record. You quick thought on Chip Kelly at UCLA. Do you think he's going in the right direction there? Or is this, I mean, cause people, if those of us that college, follow college football 10 years ago, Chip Kelly was the name. I mean, he had, a, he had the golden ticket up in Eugene. He was the, I would say the king of college football, but he was, he was a top five coach and top five program. What do you see you, uh, Chip Kelly in UCLA? Yeah, that brings us to this Saturday, USC-UCLA. It's a game where both coaches really, really need that to get pressure off their back from the fan base. You know, out, again, out here in the West, I mean, Arizona doesn't have severe COVID-19 restrictions, but California certainly does. And so there were lots of limits in the state of California on being able to practice in large groups. That's just right. California regulations. It's not something the teams wanted, but it's what they were given. It's what they were forced to live with. So there's skepticism from the UCLA side that UCLA's winning record, you know, is a, is a, is a product of just UCLA being great. It could be a product of other teams such as Cal, you know, when UCLA beat Cal in that Sunday game, it was a wipeout and no one saw that coming, but Cal, uh, didn't even know it was going to play UCLA until 48 hours before, had to make a road trip. So there are all these pandemic-based uncertainties. And so th there's skepticism that UCLA really has turned the corner. But if UCLA can beat USC, and USC is a favorite, I think three or four points last time I checked, if you, USC, UCLA can beat USC, and there's no, you know, everyone agrees USC has more talent. If UCLA can win this game, that, that would gain Chip Kelly real respect at UCLA, and people would really take notice. Oh, he, he might really do this. Ultimately, the, the Pac-12 season has been so short and played under such bizarre uh, circumstances that there's no definitive takeaway in terms of 2021 and how it's going to go. This season has just been a mess. I, I, I really think you can, you can largely throw away the results, but – USC, UCLA, whoever coach wins this game, if, if it's a convincing performance in victory, that coach will really develop some, some political uh, uh, recruiting, some recruiting LA, being able to recruit LA is a big Absolutely. part of that game. Yeah. So if it's a convincing victory for one or the other, uh, Chip Kelly or Clay Helton, that's a real uh, political game. It would, it, would, it would entrench their political power and their hold on the job going into 2021. It would certainly reduce the extent of their hot seat uh, because, uh, you know, let's flip it around. A bad loss makes 2021 that much more important. Right. So in a season of Pac-12 football with not too many revealing telltale games, I, this, this is the telltale game, more than a Pac-12 title game. Uh, just because the Pac-12 North has been weirdly bad. You know, the Pac-12 North has won all but one of the Pac-12 Conference Championship games since uh, the league went to a division split division setup in 2011 following Utah and Colorado joining the conference. The only Pac-12 South 
uh, victory in a Pac-12 title game was 2017 when Sam Darnold and USC beat Stanford. So the, the North is unusually bad. It feels like an aberration. Uh, so, in, so really, you, you could make the argument that USC-UCLA is the one truly meaningful game in the whole Pac-12 this year. How is the West Coast adopted or embraced the 9 a.m. kickoff? I know that was an innovative thing the Pac-12 tried to use this year to get a little more national exposure. How has that played out on the West Coast? Well, first off, Utah and Colorado were slated to play Friday night. That's been moved to Saturday. That's occupying the slot vacated by Michigan and Ohio State. So Utah, that will be a 9 a.m. Pacific time kickoff. Uh, of course, it's Utah and Colorado. So local time, it's going to be 10 a.m. Right. And I think a lot of Pac-12 folks out here think that, you know, the mountain time zone is where you should be doing the early kickoffs because it's 10 in the locality, right. not 9 uh, as for the USC Arizona State 9 a.m. kickoff on November 7, the thing to remember about that game is that uh, Joe Joe Biden was called. You know, the election was called for Biden like a half hour before kickoff. Wow. So election coverage dominated that morning. Ah, the good point. A, the ratings took a huge hit. But even though the ratings took a huge hit relative to what Fox normally gets, pulls in for a rating on Big Noon Saturday those ratings were still like three times as much as a 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific kickoff. So it's still positive in terms of getting eyeballs. Obviously, when, when you get into next year and you presume that fans can attend games again, it's going to be a sticking point in terms of, you know, you're going to make fans get up at 6 a.m. for a tailgate. That, that would be a problem, but I, but it was certainly worth it in this pandemic season with fans unable to attend. This is exactly when you would want to experiment with an early kickoff, since you don't have to worry about fans having to travel, get up early in 6 a.m., 7 a.m. It was the right year to do it. And so we'll see what Utah and Colorado get in terms of their Fox ratings this Saturday. It should be better than USC Arizona State due to the, the election call back on November 7th. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that. That was the day. You're right when they called the election. So I'm sure that had a, that had a big detriment. All right, let's talk national college football playoff. What are your thoughts on, I'm going to give you a couple scenarios. Florida beats Alabama. Ohio State wins the Big Ten. And then you have Clemson beats Notre Dame in the rematch. And you basically have five teams for four slots. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so it's, you know, it's going to be Alabama versus Ohio State. It's going to feel a lot like 2017. And of course, it's in a pandemic situation. But, you know, in 2017, uh, you know, Ohio State had lost twice. So even though Alabama failed to win its conference, you know, Ohio State losing twice and one of those losses being a really large loss, you know, that gave the committee a reason to, to, to put in Alabama anyway. So this time it's a much closer call. Uh, I think if it came down to brass tacks, I would say Alabama still gets in and it's because, you know, the big 10, uh, you know, delayed, shut down the season, made all those missteps. I think right. that the people at that table are going to say, you know, the sec did it right. The big 10 did it wrong. Uh, we have to reward the sec playing several more games. And, and of course, you know, you know, there are going to be riots in Columbus if that happens, <laughs> but, but, we know the Big Ten made its bed, and I think that, you know, when, when you, the Ohio State would have zero losses and Alabama would have one, you, Alabama still played 10 SEC games, 
had a legitimately tougher schedule. It, it's hard to look past that. And, and when you look at the history of the playoffs since 2014, you know, Ohio State gets the benefit of the doubt in most cases. But when is the one case when it doesn't get the benefit of the doubt? When Alabama's the other team in the conversation. <laughs> right, right. What are your um, – by the way, the breaking news today was – LSU, so 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 gracious of LSU to say, we're not going to be in a bowl game this year. We're going to take our bowl ban. We're going to self-impose a bowl ban. We're three. You know, we we know we did some wrongdoings a couple years ago. How nice of LSU to do that. <laughs> you know, and and of course, it's great comedic material. I mean, yeah. so many jokes. You know, you could just have endless fun with this. But when you get past the fun and the laughs, and we should all have them because we need laughs in a pandemic but when you get past all of that it's smart and yeah. I, I, I a couple things to consider here one you know look at auburn basketball self-imposing an ncaa tournament ban i mean yep. look if you're gonna self-penalize this is the year to do it absolutely right you don't have fans there to enjoy postseason basketball if you get to the ncaa tournament this is the year this is the time you know, and, and so, and, and, you know, if, if you're not playing extra games, your players are safer, you know, your right. players aren't flying over the country. This is the year to do that. But here's the other thing, the other thing to note, and this goes back nine years in college football history, you might remember 2011, you know, the, the in-between year after Jim Tressel got taken down at Ohio state, uh, Luke fickle, interestingly enough, you know, now rising to stardom at Cincinnati, but yep. he was the interim coach for the Buckeyes that year. They were six and six. They played, uh, you know, either six and six or seven and five Florida in the Gator Bowl. That was a year when Enjoy. Ohio State should have self-imposed a bowl ban because if it had, listen, this is not a guarantee, but there's a real legitimate chance that Ohio State would have been granted postseason eligibility in 2012. And you remember, Ohio State was unbeaten in 2012. If it was eligible for the postseason, it would have played Notre Dame in the BCS title game. Alabama would have been out. So that right. was a hugely influential decision. So Ohio State should have self-imposed in 2011 when it was bad. Uh, so, you know, give LSU credit. Give Auburn basketball credit. Yep. We, we're going to laugh. We're going to tell jokes. And that's great. But let's also realize this is smart politics. Smart, smart business. Politics. Ohio State did not play nine years ago, and it really influenced college football history because if Alabama's not playing uh, Notre Dame in that 2013 BCS tile game, either one of two things happens. I mean, first off, Alabama doesn't win back-to-back -back national championships, but second, maybe Brian Kelly wins a national title and the trajectory of Notre Dame uh, becomes different. Uh, you know, so good on LSU for making a smart decision. We need to remind ourselves of that. Absolutely. All right. You're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, with Matt Zemeck out in Phoenix, Arizona. We're talking all things college football. We're going to talk some college hoops in a couple minutes. You can reach Matt on his Twitter feed at, at Matt Zemeck, Z-E-M-E-K. You can reach us at the Powers on Sports podcast at Sports. We'd love to have your feedback on the interview you're hearing. Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast for us. All right, Matt, I'm going to make you the college football czar for one day. Give me a couple of changes or things, policies you would implement if you, if you could implement things across the sport. Give me a couple of things that would really be important to you. 
Okay, well, we've already talked about flex scheduling, so I don't need to go through that, but we should do flex scheduling. Okay, that, that's, that's one thing. Another thing we should do, no bowl tie-ins. Get rid of bowl tie-ins. And this leads to a, you know, a pandemic discussion point that you know, you've had several bowl games get canceled. Uh, you've had some rivalry games that aren't going to be played, Ohio State-Michigan. You haven't had the Apple Cup. Washington, Washington State did not get played. You're looking at Indiana and Purdue, the old oaken bucket not getting yeah. played. So, you know, now, now Indiana's probably going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. So you want the Hoosiers to be there. That's a reward for them. But in any instance where a team is not going to a New Year's Six Bowl, you know, a lucrative big TV bowl, and its rivalry game hasn't been played, that should be the bowl game. You, you have the, the rivalry game should take the place of the bowl game if it hasn't been played. And frankly, you know, uh, for like, let's say uh, uh, Louisville and Kentucky, that should be a bowl game. Uh, uh, Georgia, if Georgia doesn't get a New Year's Six Bowl, it probably will. But let's say it doesn't. Georgia, Georgia Tech should be a bowl game. And you Clemson, do those South Carolina, Clemson, South Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. All those rivalry games, if you don't have a team in a New Year's Six game, that should be the bowl game. That's what fans would want more than anything else. They don't want, right. uh, let's say, uh, you know, uh, Mississippi State against uh, North Carolina State, something like that. Right. You know, who, who cares? Give them the rivalry game. But beyond the pandemic, we really shouldn't have bowl tie-ins. And the, the, the representative case here is Coastal Carolina, because we're looking at a situation where Cincinnati – is going to win the group of five. You know, if it beats Tulsa in the AAC title game, Cincinnati gets the group of five slot. Coastal Carolina is going to be left without a New Year's Six spot. And that's terrible. Right. And the Coastal Carolina has played tough teams, beat tough teams, hasn't lost a game. That's a team that should get a New Year's Six bowl game, but it's not looking like it under the current setup. So without tie-ins, and I know this might take a spot away from a power five school, but you have to be able to set aside a place at the table for Coastal Carolina, not in the playoff, but in the New Year's Six. That's 12 spots, six right. games, 12 spots. You have to be able to set aside a place for a team such as Coastal Carolina. So without tie-ins, that becomes a lot more realistic. And then the final thing uh, in, terms of, in terms of what I do, I get rid of the playoff. And I'd put in a plus one after the Bulls. Huh. You know, you go, you go through college football history, several decades, and a plus one after the Bulls, it's not an airtight 100% solution. You're not in every single case. Uh, like in 2004, you had uh, you know, USC and Auburn and Utah all right. unbeaten after the Bulls. So one of those three... You know, if you had a plus one, one of those three gets left out. So it's not an airtight solution, but most years, most conflicts, you have two teams left uh, and a plus one after the Bulls would solve that. Uh, you go through 2010, it would have been Auburn against TCU. Uh, 2001, it would have been Miami against Oregon. Uh, you, you go up and down the line, you know, Miami should have played Oklahoma in the 2001 Orange Bowl. It was Florida State instead, but Miami beat Florida State. Miami should have been there. So having an Oklahoma-Miami game that year. Uh, and then you think of you know the great split national championships uh, before the BCS, like Miami versus Washington, 1991. Right. Right. Colorado-Georgia Tech, 1990. Right. A plus one would have solved those things. So I'd say get rid of the playoff, and, and you know, it's, which has been such a disappointment and is so politicized. 
you go back to the old pole and bowl system where you know it was a big deal for an SEC team to go to the Sugar Bowl. And it was a big deal for the Big 8, now Big 12, to go to the Orange Bowl. And they'd throw sugar cubes on the field at the end of the game or they'd throw oranges on the field at the end of the game. College football was more regional. There was more regional pride. It wasn't all about this one four-team event, you know, who's in, who's out. It was about winning your conference, getting to your big favorite bowl game, that was a tradition in your community. You know, obviously out here in the Pac-12, going to the Rose Bowl used to be a sacred thing. But then when USC kept missing the BCS title game and, and, and when uh, other Pac-12 teams missed the college football playoffs and it, it became, oh, we have to go to the Rose Bowl. We didn't get into the playoffs. <laughs> no, that's not what college football is supposed to be about. So you bring by having a by getting rid of the playoff architecture and going back to the pole and bowl system, you bring back a love for all the bowl games, not just the ones that are playoff semifinals. And then you have the plus one at the very end to decide the national championship. And of course that plus one would get great ratings. You remember the Miami Penn state Fiesta bowl, you know, that game was originally scheduled for new year's day in 1987, but NBC sports moved it one day back to January 2nd as a standalone game. And it did blockbuster ratings you could get something very similar uh, for a plus one. So those are the things that I do. If I, you made me college football commissioner for a day. All right. So even if they decide to keep the the fourteen playoff, would you be a proponent of expanding it to six or eight, or keeping it at four? If they're gonna, if they decide, hey, we're keeping the playoff. Well, are you a fan of six, eight, or keeping it at four? It, you know. So it all depends, and that gets to what I talked about earlier in this uh, discussion: is that if you have flex scheduling, you can play high-end quarterfinal games in the regular season in late November or in the on conference championship Saturday, you don't need to go to eight. But if you don't do that, if you don't do flex scheduling, if you don't create more high-end non-conference games late in the season, then you have to go to eight because you have to play those games. You know, certain teams getting through, uh, getting into the playoff without having a certain test uh, out of conference. Uh, think about Utah last right. year now utah of course lost to oregon in last year's pac-12 championship game but if utah had beaten oregon very good chance that utah would have gotten the fourth and final playoff seed right. over oklahoma but who did utah beat out of conference it wasn't a particularly impressive resume you know you want to see a team in utah's position last year if it's going to get a playoff berth you want to see that team beat a high-end team out of conference before it gets to the playoff semifinal i got you i got you all right as we segue to college hoops what are your thoughts are you a proponent of paying players in the football basketball you know the revenue generates just in general are you what are your thoughts on paying college athletes well the short answer yes but here's here's i think the more immediate compromise position that we can i think a lot of people can agree on if, if they disagree on paying players in general i think we can agree on this give them hazard pay for playing in a pandemic you know doesn't have to be a permanent long-term thing but you know we're asking these guys to hop on planes when we're telling most other americans to stay home yeah uh, if we're asking them to do all this traveling that you know that tells me we're treating them as essential workers Right. You know, they're, they're keeping this billion dollar industry going because these schools, athletic budgets and their overall budgets, they need the television money, uh, you know, to keep expected revenues coming in to support 
academics and on the other things that universities do. So we're, we're treating these players like essential workers. You know, they're going to be four Big Ten basketball games on Christmas Day. Uh, that hasn't been done uh, before. So, you know, if we're going to make these players play for, on TV for our entertainment and enjoyment and to fill these uh, schools coffers, we should we can give them hazard pay for this year. You know, now long term policy, separate debate. We can visit that later. We should be giving these athletes hazard pay just as we should give hazard pay to grocery workers and frontline workers, people who do essential services to feed us, clothe us, uh, you know, give us basic services. I, I'd like to think that we could all agree on that point in a pandemic. I got no, I, I agree with you. I totally understand. Because you're right. We're, we're, we're telling people, we're telling people don't travel, don't don't leave your city. But we're asking these kids to get on planes and go play in these tournaments and all over the place. And and we've seen in college basketball, lots of cancellations this, this first week and a half or so. Everybody from Gonzaga to the small programs to everybody in between, lots and lots of games are going to get canceled. And I think the NCAA basketball rules, they have to play, what, 13 games to be eligible for the NCAA tournament in theory. So it'll be interesting to see how these things go. What are your early thoughts on the college hoop season? Kind of, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've watched a little bit. Yeah. There's been a lot of good matchups, which is good. That's the one good thing about college basketball is they tend to play some really good matchups early in the year. These conference matchups, the ACC, Big Ten Challenge, that kind of stuff. So what are your thoughts on college basketball as we enter the first two or three weeks of the season? Well, you know, the first thing you need to keep in mind is that with the pandemic, you know, it's it's not a normal situation. So if we see wild fluctuations in quality from teams, we need to be patient with with teams as they yeah. try to figure things out. Look at Georgia Tech, lost to Mercer and Georgia State, but then beat Kentucky and then beat uh, Nebraska. We're, right. As we're recording this podcast, Georgia Tech just did beat Nebraska on the road in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. So that's a team that, like, you know, couldn't tie its shoelaces for a week, but then <laughs> finally, finally found its footing. We're going to see their players, got their players back. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to see, yeah, there's going to be roster dislocations. So let's just go, ride out the, the fluctuations. But I think in terms of the big picture, I think we can clearly say the Big Ten is by far the best, deepest conference in college basketball you saw Iowa over North Carolina you saw Illinois and Michigan State winning at Duke big win um, and you know so when you think about the Big Ten you think about Michigan State and Michigan State looks like a pretty good team but there are there are three other really good teams alongside Michigan State Iowa Illinois and also probably Wisconsin so you know that those are four teams that look like they certainly have elite eight potential if not better and no other conference can match that. No other conference has quality depth at the top. I mean, the SEC needs Kentucky to figure out what it's doing. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's kind of a question mark. Pac-12 has started very slowly. Uh, Big 12, you know, you have Baylor and Kansas. Those are the big dogs, maybe West Virginia. So I think the Big 12 might be second in terms of the overall conference pecking order. Uh, but the ACC is taking a lot of body blows. And, you know, Virginia wasn't able to play Michigan State. Uh, in the ACC uh, Big Ten Challenge, uh, and, and Virginia's looked shaky early on. Doesn't mean Virginia won't be able to eventually figure things out. Tony Bennett usually does figure things yeah. out. But, you know, North Carolina, Virginia, they're on very slow uh, progressions. It's going to take time for those teams to sort themselves out. Big Ten teams look pretty complete early in the season. So that that's really the power center in college basketball this year. 
I think I think back to your flex schedule. I think you're going to see a lot of flex scheduling in the college basketball season as we get into January, early February. For like you said, some of these mid-major teams, the, the higher-end mid-major teams that need more games, need some exposure, ESPN, Fox Sports need some content and some good matchups. I think you're going to see a lot of that as we get into January, February. Is Gonzaga for real? Everybody thinks this is the year for Gonzaga. What are your thoughts on Gonzaga? Well, you know, here's the thing. Gonzaga's been real for a few years now. Now, you know, and I lived in Seattle for 20 years. And so, like, in 2014, I'm going to admit, I have to own my mistakes, or at least I have to own things that, you know, didn't really look, don't look good now, six years later. But in 2014, I was a Mark Few critic. I mean, he did a decent enough job. But in 2014, a normal season for Gonzaga was get like a seven or eight seed win one game in the NCAA tournament and then bow out against a two seed or a one seed in the second round. And it was in 2015 when Mark Few hit the transfer market. He got graduate transfers mixed in with his homegrown recruits. And in 2015, Gonzaga made the Elite Eight. And then 2017, you know, had the the max out season, losing narrowly to North Carolina in the title game. I mean, 2017 should have ended the debate about Gonzaga and whether it's for real. I mean, Gonzaga now exists at a pretty high level consistently. Gonzaga was going to be a one seed last year. We didn't have an NCAA tournament, but it was was on the one line heading into Selection Sunday before the pandemic hit. Gonzaga was a one seed uh, the previous year in 2019, lost to, you know, a really darn good Texas Tech team in the Elite Eight. So Gonzaga's on the one line most years now. And, and it looks like Gonzaga is going to be on the one line or at worst, the two line Gonzaga has built itself to that level. So Gonzaga is definitely for real. Uh, in, in terms of like an intriguing question mark kind of team, I think, uh, you know, in the West, at least San Diego state, you know, San Diego state had star power last season with Malachi Flynn right. doesn't have Flynn this season, but has looked pretty good uh, from what I've seen early on. So, you know, the, the, the Aztecs might not be on the, on a, the one line or the two line, but they could be like a dangerous four or Very five. Very dangerous, yes. And, you know, when Steve Fisher left that program, you thought, oh, maybe the magic's going to die out. It's actually gotten better, you know, so. Because um, basically it was a transition to his number one assistant, Brian Dutcher, who had been yeah. with him at Michigan and has, has built that culture at San Diego State. So it's, it's a great transition to them. And like you said, they're always a dangerous team. I was impressed with Creighton going to the, going to the wire with Kansas yesterday. I think Creighton's always a really good McDermott does a great job in, at Creighton. That's a team that even though they're in a power five conference, that they're, they're kind of an under the radar team that looks to be a pretty, pretty strong team heading into 2020. Absolutely. And I think we should just, you know, in college basketball, we should just consider the big East a power conference. I mean, are. it's not, it's not power five, but it's a power conference. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's college basketball royalty, Madison Square Garden. You have UConn back in the Big East this year, by the way, where right. it belongs. That that's that's a nice little plus. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and Creighton plays the modern game uh, built on shooting, spacing the court. So Greg McDermott, you know, has a team that plays in sync with you know where the, the sport of basketball is headed and has been heading, and then that that has served the Jays really well. Yep. Your thought has the NCAA confirmed that they're going to do the bubble in Indianapolis yet? Has that been officially announced? I know there's lots of speculation about the tournament all being in Indianapolis and kind of in a bubble scenario. Well, I don't know if it's an, an official announcement, but I think that that's like the declared intent that that's where all the energy is headed. 
and it makes sense. You don't exactly. want you don't want teams flying across the country. You don't want you want to reduce plane flights. Right. You want to reduce all these travel situations for teams. And so you know, and you know, the idea of having you know, you're going to have several different uh, b- buildings in and around Indianapolis as NCAA tournament sites. Assuming this plan does go forward, and I am right. assuming it goes forward. So you're going to have some games in Mackey Arena at Purdue in West Lafayette. You're going to have some games at Lucas Oil Stadium. I mean, that's where the Final Four would ostensibly be. But like having an Elite Eight game at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Right. Oh, man. That, That'd be that's, great. That's going to be so great. And, you know, before this uh, Indianapolis bubble plan was announced, I was thinking, you know, with fans not being able to attend or at least not in large numbers, this was precisely the year to have Final Four or elite, at least Elite Eight games in classic arenas. I was thinking like the Palestra, you know, it's only like 8,000 seats, but in a pandemic, who cares, you know, without right. fans, you know, so it's really great. I think it's a great plan uh, to, to, to bring basketball to, you know, a basketball worshiping state uh, that, that cherishes college basketball. You know, they're going to, I think that the, the buy-in from local communities is going to be great. I mean, I think that if you were going to have this kind of bubble plan with like several different localities clustered together, Indianapolis and one place, Kansas city, uh, you know, the Kansas basketball tradition, that was, that would be another place. Um, You know, Kemper arenas hosted so many NCAA championship games. The city of Kansas city has hosted a lot. Another would be Charlotte and that just the triangle in Carolina, you know, tobacco road, so, you know, th- th- it makes sense. It's a great plan. It's a great idea. I agree. I agree. Again, you can play at Assembly Hall as well in, Indi- at Blo- in Bloomington. Yep. All that's in within an hour and a half drive. So that from a logistics perspective, it's going to make it easy for, for one, t- all the television, uh, you know, CBS, all the TNT people, all that stuff. It's, I think it's, and the NCAA just happens to be housed in Indianapolis as well. So that doesn't hurt either. So, all right. Um, Last thing on the college hoops, what do you, what are your thoughts on, you know, just in general coaching, give me a couple coaches that are kind of on the hot seat. I mean, I'm surprised how, how has Will Wade survived? How has Sean Miller survived? Bruce Pearl with all these, even Bill Self with all the speculation around these investigations. Give me your well, thoughts on how these guys have survived. <laughs> Well, one that one part is that these investi- the NCAA needs to give provide a ruling here. You know, the, the NCAA needs to give a decision here, and it's just endless foot dragging. And I just I fail to understand why this the, the you know decisions could not have been made in the off season. You know, really, what 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 purpose does it achieve to have these issues lingering into a new season? You know, could you really have? Was it really that absolutely essential to? Uh, drag things into a new season. You couldn't have done, you know, arrived at some kind of ruling in July or August. Uh, that that that's one thing that I don't get. But in terms of, you know, I'm out here in Arizona. So Sean Miller, you know, he was he was dead and buried several times. But I, you know, I think what I keep coming back to, and this, you know, I, I'm not I'm not trying to be political. It's just kind of such a natural thing you know, where's accountability in this country at any level? And that's not a partisan thing. That's not a, a conservative right. thing. It's not a liberal thing, not right or left. Just when when do people in power get held accountable for the, the, the awful things that they do? That's not, that's not unique to any one facet of our society. It's pervasive. Pick, pick whatever you want. It's pervasive. 
And so that's just the easy explanation. It's a depressing explanation, but it's the easy explanation for why some of these coaches have not been booted from their positions of power. I mean, they have they have Will Wade on an FBI wiretap talking about paying the guy. I mean, I mean, it's, I, it just kills me. Yeah. And I know these. What are we waiting for? Really? I know these schools don't want to pay out these contracts when you have to fire the guy. I get that, but there's got to be some, like you said, get fired with cause where the university can get out of not having to pay the guy when you're caught on an FBI wiretap offering to pay somebody off. Yeah, and, you know, and that that brings up a good point since we're in a pandemic. You would certainly like to think that on the other side of the pandemic, when coaches are, are hired at big-time programs, football or basketball, that we're going to see much lower buyouts and right. we're going to see far stricter conditions in terms of earning various kinds of bonuses and incentives. You know, it's pretty clear that colleges and universities have been giving away the store and, and, and for, for way too little return. It's, it, one would think that there's going to be a market correction in terms of coaching salaries and also coaching bonuses and incentives that they really have to be, the incentives have to be tied to reasonable basic standards of behavior uh, and that the buyout numbers you know, look at Auburn. This is a football point, really, more than basketball. But I mean, basketball is part of it. But you know, Auburn football with Gus Malzahn, USC with Clay Helton. There's just these huge buyout figures. Will Muschamp. Will Muschamp got fifteen million dollars to leave South Carolina, and he yeah, did nothing really. there. How can you drop a contract which which leaves you on the hook for that much money from a coach who had never really proven himself? Yeah. So one would like to think on the other side of the pandemic, we're going to have much lower buyouts and athletic directors need to be willing to play hardball with coaches and say, Hey, you know, we like, we want you to coach for our school, but if you're going to, you know, hold us at, at gunpoint with right. uh, really high buyout numbers, you know, we're not going to just cave anymore. We're not right. going to value you that much. We're going to find another bargain higher and we're going to try and get like the next Matt Campbell from Toledo. And we're going to try to get the next Jamie Chadwell. And we're not kind of going to try to get the next, a guy who does more with less, you know, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, um, right. you know, so uh, one hopes that some fiscal sanity is going to enter the picture uh, on the other side of this pandemic. Last fo college football question, and I'm going to get to your, uh, your, your, your website work that you're doing. Jim Harbaugh, is he going to make it? What, what's the deal with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan? Okay, well, you know, so you might know of John U. Bacon, a Mich longtime Michigan journalist, author, commentator he's on twitter so you can find if you don't know him you can find him he reported a few days ago that michigan has offered harbaugh a downscaled contract you know much less pay much lower incentives and it's kind of like a you know if you're going to stay here this is what you're going to have to take uh and so harbaugh can either choose to you know eat that and say yes sir i want to stay and i'll take the lower pay right or he can go to the nfl and uh you know in in terms of like the nfl coaching carousel you know because that's interconnected with the college carousel Absolutely. at least in terms of, in, at least in terms of as, as far as harbaugh is concerned i think that uh brian dable the bills offensive coordinator he makes sense for the jets eric b enemy uh, makes sense for deshaun watson right. and the uh houston texans I think Robert Saleh uh, of the, the defensive coordinator of the 49ers, he's from Dearborn, Michigan. So he makes sense for the lions. Uh, and so Harbaugh makes sense the most for either the Falcons or the chargers. I think those are the two best landing spots for him. So if he wants to go back to the NFL, which might be 
you know, the best fit since he doesn't have to worry about recruiting. Right. Um, and he had, you know, he did such a great job with the 49ers and the, 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 the decline with the 49ers was not, not so much Harbaugh. It was about Jed York and Trent Baalke, right. uh not being supportive of him. So, you know, the Falcons, that's, that's a win now situation for a, for a good coach. Uh, and then the chargers have Justin Herbert and really a lot of talent. If you get a coach who gets it, with the Chargers, you can also, you know, maybe not beat Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, but you can be making wild card games when going 10 and six on a regular basis. So it's there for Jim Harbaugh. He can go back to the NFL sure. if he wants to. It's it's up to him. The ball's in his court. But Michigan, you know, is willing to let, have him stay, but just for much lower compensation. And I, and the one of the one of the wild card could be the Chicago Bears too. He played in Chicago, yeah. potentially a Chicago. Yeah. Matt Nagy's probably in some trouble. So depending on what the Bears do, he could be an interesting candidate in Chicago too. With absolutely. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's talk about you, uh, Matt. Talk to, me, uh, talk to me about some of the venture. I know you do a lot of work for a lot of different people. Talk to me about some of the areas that the viewers and the audience can find you at and re- read, your, read your stuff. Well, you know, so I do freelancing at uh, Patreon. I have a Patreon site. And so I do a weekly college football podcast and I mix in basketball as well. I, I, you know, it's mostly football. I did do a college basketball season preview show a couple weeks ago, but it's mostly football through the bowl season. And then I go full basketball, uh, January, February, March. Uh, so that's at Patreon. And my, my content is not paywalled. I believe in making it public. And if you like my work, Hey, throw a few bucks in the, in the till. Um, so that's, so that's at Patreon, patreon.com slash Zemeck. You know, through my, uh, Twitter site, Twitter site, twitter.com slash Matt Zemeck, you know, that you can find my Patreon work very, very easily. Um, and then my other main uh, college sports uh, jur- journalism venture is Trojans Wire. There are 14 different uh, USA Today College Wire sites. So USC is one of those 14 sites. So I'm at Trojans Wire on Twitter, trojanswire.usatoday.com. We just crank out USC content and we're uh, in the midst of UCLA week. We have a sprawling bowl gallery on our site and we're also covering USC basketball with, you know, the electric freshman Evan Mobley. USC uh, starts Pac-12 basketball on Sunday against Stanford. That's a really big game. Uh, so covering uh, USC sports and USC recruiting, uh, that's where you can find me. And, and uh, you know, I also tweet about politics because it's a pandemic and we have a national crisis and we should be having honest discussions i promise not to bite um so that that's that's what i'm up to and uh also if you if you look at my pinned tweet uh i'm interested in doing i'm interested in doing public service free of charge uh zoom webinars on on journalism so if you you or your kids if you want to you know a journalism education for your children free of charge i'm offering that service on zoom no one's taking me up on the offer yet but it's there. So those, th- those are some of the things that I'm doing. Thanks. Thanks very much for uh, giving me the space to share. Yeah, that's all. I mean, if you read Matt, the good, really good read on Twitter. He talked, like you said, talks about all things in the world, politics, football, sports, all that. Stuff. One more question, basketball question, USC. Andy Enfield is from my part of my neck of the woods down here in Florida, Gulf coast used to be at dunk city and all that. And how's, how's Enfield? I know he's had some good years at USC. How's the Trojan nation taken to him and and he, he seems like he's doing a pretty decent job there yeah so i'm i'm more sympathetic to enfield than the usc fan base is and the okay. usc fan base looks at you know okay you you recruited onyeka kongwu number six pick in the draft 
okay, you've recruited Evan Mobley, you know, almost certain to be a lottery pick. You should be making sweet 16s, elite eights. Uh, and, you know, so, and I can set, and I can understand that. And, you know, and, you know, Enfield certainly has things to work on. His half court offenses usually grind to a halt uh, in the middle of the Pac-12 season. His offenses usually get figured out. I think he needs to hire like an offensive coordinator. You know, he needs like an offensive guru. Uh, kind of on the flip side, you know, John Beeline, remember he was struck. He made the title game in 2013 at Michigan. Then he went through three or four bad years. His career at Michigan turned around when he hired Luke Yaklich as essentially his defensive coordinator. And Yaklich was the assistant who really helped Beeline regain his mojo, get back to the national title game uh, in 2018 against Villanova. So Enfield needs to hire what essentially amounts to an offensive coordinator. Someone was just really whip smart with the X's and O's because Enfield can recruit. We know that he has that part down. He needs an offensive coordinator, but bigger picture USC fans generally think, you know, Enfield needs to coach as well as his recruiting. And, and they're, they're upset that the USC, you know, doesn't look very, uh, aesthetically pleasing and, you know in, in los angeles you want to look attractive you don't just want to win time. showtime showtime exactly. dunk city you know people are thinking that it was going to be dunk city west so that hasn't happened and i think that aesthetic deficiency is part of why people are more sour on enfield than they should be and here's why here's why i defend enfield in terms of his overall track record and usc does not make a lot of ncaa tournaments in its history it has not been a regular NCAA tournament program. Right. If we, if you know, you, we didn't have an NCAA tournament last year, but if we did, USC would have been in. USC was either going to be a nine or a 10 seed, safely in. When USC beat UCLA on the final regular season Saturday before the Pac-12 tournament, that's, that punched the ticket. So USC was going to be in. So if we consider last season an NCAA tournament season, Enfield's made three NCAA tournaments at USC. No one's made more. No USC coach has made more than three NCAA tournaments. So the next NCAA tournament Andy Enfield makes, and he has a decent chance this year, he'll be the all-time leader in NCAA <laughs> tournament bids among USC coaches. That's right. pretty good historically. Yep. So, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a weird thing where you know he's not coaching quite as well as the quality of his recruiting. So, I mean, you know, he needs to improve there. No one disputes that, but measured against USC head coaches over several decades, he's better than almost all of them. I mean, and you know, say, what, say what you say, what you want. USC is a football school and will always yeah. be a football school. Yeah. But I mean, if it, at, at USC, if you're making the NCAA tournament, historically, that's a good year compared to what USC has been yep. in the past. Now USC had a coach named Sam Barry. Uh, well, let's just tell a little story about us ancient USC history here. <laughs> Sam Barry, in the late 1930s and early 1940s, he was coaching all three USC programs, baseball, basketball, football. He wow. led USC to the College World Series title in the late 1940s, <laughs> he led USC to the 1940 Final Four, and he was an assistant to Howard Jones on the great undefeated Rose Bowl teams of the late 1930s. In 1941, though, he, he was the head coach for all three USC sports programs, so he's a true program giant i mean he's probably the best coach in in usc basketball history and andy enfield is probably second and wow. and so that that really puts enfield's tenure in a different light and so i understand usc fans frustration 
But USC fans have to realize, hey, you haven't been very good very consistently. You know, Tim Floyd also was one of those coaches who made three NCAA tournaments. But of course, you know, he brought on all that NCAA probation and sanctions. So really, I think you have to rate uh, Enfield above Floyd, not as an X and O tactician, but in terms of like stabilizing the program. Absolutely. Uh, So you can make an argument that Andy Enfield is the second best head coach USC's ever had that's pretty darn good. And that's kind of the, the big picture perspective that gets lost in the short-term fixation on, well, you're recruiting these five stars and you can't make the sweet 16. Got to have a little bit of a big picture allowance for, for what Enfield's doing. He's done a decent job. A lot of people thought, Oh, you know, he's going to crash and burn out here. Terrible hire by Pat Hayden, who was the athletic director back in 2013. Yep. Hey, Enfield's here eight years later. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're at a power five job for eight years, Got to be doing something right. That's a good run. That's absolutely a good run. Well, Matt, I very much appreciate the time. I've kept you long enough. Great insight on the college football world, the Pac-12, USC, all the stuff, college football, college hoops. I really appreciate your time, Matt. Have a great weekend. Now, will you be going – do you typically travel to the – would you typically have traveled to the college football playoff games and those kind of scenarios if things were in a normal year? No, I'm, I'm the stay at home blogger. You know, I don't, I don't make the big bucks. This is, this is something you do for love of the job. I mean, right. it, it pays my basic bills, but it's not, it's not a, a fancy pants uh, line of work. So yeah, I don't have the personal budget or the salary uh, to be you. able to jet around the country, but I really enjoy what I do. And I really enjoy you uh, having on the show. I want to wish you and your audience a Merry Christmas, uh, happy holidays and, and, uh, health through this pandemic let's all get through this winter i know we're a mentally fatigued country you know but the vaccine's coming around the corner let's let's just uh, be smart and sensible one more winter and then my by golly you know we get to labor day next year we have a 12 game college football season fans attending games you know not everything's going to be normal but a lot more will be normal so let's just be smart and safe this winter Great words, Matt. Great. And we'll definitely have you on as we get close to March Madness, as we, if we have a March Madness, but we'll definitely have you on as we get close to that time. Well, thanks for your time, Matt. Have a great weekend. And uh, again, appreciate the time. You're listening thanks. to the, It was a lot of fun. Yeah, you're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. We'll be right back. Thanks again to Matt Zemek for his insights on the Pac-12 Conference, college football, and the college basketball world. Remember, subscribe, rate, and review Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. And if you want to leave comments and questions, send me a tweet at Sports. Again, thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast.